puzzle. I'm going to bring up three of the major changes God brought about from the Old Testament and the Word. So, number one, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That was a huge change. It doesn't get much bigger than the creation of everything we see. One moment there was nothing. No universe, no Milky Way galaxy, no earth, no sun, no us. And in the blink of an eye, there we had a universe and we had an earth. Within four days, we had water and the sun and the moon, the stars, the heavenly bodies. Within day six, we had everything. Every land animal, every sea creature, every bird that flies, and then to top it off, we had man in addition. He didn't have to create us. He could have left the universe the way it was. He didn't need man's interference in the end, but he created us anyway. That's a huge change. Why did God make this? Well, let's go a little further and we'll see if we can find out. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children, and your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you have listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about from which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Though painful toil, you will eat fruit from it all the days of your life, and it will produce thorns and thistles. You're welcome. I'm here. For you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, and from the dust you are, the dust you will return. Now, for those of you who didn't get my little joke, my last name is Thorn. It's okay to laugh at thorns and thistles being produced at me. It's okay. Adam and Eve, we have one command for them. One. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden. Now, that's my paraphrase. I may not have quoted it exactly. So don't, don't, you know, chain me up or anything. But they couldn't get that right. The next big change that we see, the second in all of recorded history, is the curse. And boy, was it a doozy. It was almost as big as the first change we saw. Because everything is cursed because of one transgression. One, in our mind, it's a really simple, it's a small thing. But to God, it was all, everything was wrapped up in that one sin because they just chose to disobey his command. Again, why? Eh, Let's go a little further and we'll find out. Malachi chapter 4. This one is not up on the screen and I'm not actually going to read anything. So Angie, you're good. Um, Malachi chapter 4 ends with a promise. God's got something in the works. He's got another change coming for his people. But then it also ends in a curse. We again see, if you read the Bible, God always deals in blessings and curses. One or the other. But his people have a, have a promise coming. 
But then for 400 years, four centuries, God is silent. We have no confirmed written communication from God. I know people have said, well, so-and-so heard such and such, but we have no confirmation for it. God is silent for four centuries. And then all of a sudden, he starts to talk to his people again. One by one. A person here, a person there. Luke chapter 1, verses... 8 through 12. And so it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell from form to burn incense, excuse me, when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar. And then Zacharias saw him, and he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. One of the, the first recorded instance of God's angel speaking to someone after 400 years. I'd be fearful. I'd, I would fall to my knees in fear, too. What does this mean? I am in the, I'm in the temple of the, of the Most High God. I am trying to burn incense to him, and his angel appears to me. That would cause my knees to quake, too. <clears throat> so he continues working small. Zechariah, and then Mary, and then the shepherds. The, an angel of the Lord appears to the shepherds that night. And then all of a sudden, the, agent, the heavenly host is shouting at the top of their lungs, if they have them. Glory to God in the highest, and on the earth, peace and goodwill to men. And instantly, instantly everything changed. And all of creation would never be the same. You have heard the old saying, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Or how about this one? The only thing that stays the same is change. If there was any two truer phrases ever mouthed, I don't know what they could be, because change is the constant of our creation nowadays. Change is a major part of our lives. Our jobs change. Our ideas change. Our beliefs change. Our society changes. The people in our lives change. Everything changes. Whether it's anything we can do about it or not, things change. So... Again, we come to the question of why. Why? Well, now we'll actually get to answering that question, why. I got four reasons. I know there's more, but I'm going to discuss four as to why things change. So, number one, our own sin. Now, we don't like to talk about this. We don't like to hear about our sins. We don't like to hear about the things we've done to make mistakes and to cause God or someone else to have to make a course correction to fix our mistakes. But it's the nature of things. Our hope, both before our sin and after our sin, is that our path is always going down where God wants us. Now, sometimes our sin is just out of sheer ignorance And we didn't realize what we were doing, and sometimes we choose to make that sin. Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become one of us, to know good and evil. 
And now lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim on the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword turning every which way to guard the way to the tree of life. God had to make a course correction here. Now, I'm not saying that God was surprised. I am not saying that God didn't know what man was about to do. I'm saying that God had to make a change. He knew the change was coming, but he still had to make this change. How disastrous could it have been for us if Adam and Eve had stretched forth their hands after taking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil to now take of the tree of life? Disastrous. We would have been stuck forever in our situation. Horrible, horrible consequences. But yet, now we die. Now we die. But that's a far better option than the other option. To be beyond redemption and stuck in our sins. Now we have an option. Now we have the choice. Death is a consequence of that, but we have a choice. And we hope that God makes changes for our good. In fact, he promises us that he will keep them... Sorry, that they will, he promises us that those changes that he has to make will be for our good. In fact, we heard Romans 8.28 earlier this morning. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord and those who are called according to his purpose. We hold on to that promise because you know what? We're going to make mistakes. Man, it'd be nice if the human condition didn't warrant and didn't really necessitate us making those mistakes. But unfortunately, in our current status, we can't live life without making mistakes. So we have to hope. Number two, the sin of others makes changes in our lives. Sometimes the changes that others cause are almost more drastic than the changes that we make? Or is it just that the changes that others that we make are easier to accommodate for than the changes others are? I mean, it's easier for me to say, you know what, I messed up, I can fix it, or I can let it be fixed. But if someone else, their sin is what is causing me to have to do something, now I'm like, no, no, I don't want to have to do this. And that, that's my pride rising up saying, no, I don't want to have to make the correction for their mistake. But it's a part of life. <clears throat> Genesis. I love the book of Genesis, by the way. Genesis chapter 19, verses 16 and 17. And while he lingered, talking about Lot here, before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, The men took the hold of his hand and his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters. And the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out, set him outside the city. So it came to pass that when they brought them outside, that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind. Do not look back. Lot was not at fault for what was about to happen. So God removed Lot from the situation. That was a pretty drastic change in Lot's life, don't you think? 
He went from a home in a city in a well-established city to living in the mountains. But it wasn't just Lot's life that was changed, but the, the people in the small village, as you keep reading, Lot's like, I can't make it to the mountains. Send me to that little town. And God relents in destroying that town because that's where Lot goes. So because of other people's actions, other people's lives are changed. See chain reaction as we go in life. <clears throat> Lot was delivered into safety. He was not killed with the rest of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Jacob also was a man who had major drastic changes in his life due to the actions of others. He was sold into slavery. He wasn't at fault. His brothers were jealous. And they got rid of him. Now, again, God made changes that worked for the good of everybody, including the brothers who sinned originally. Jacob ended up being second in command of Egypt. Joseph, 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 thank you. Jacob, Joseph. Joseph, thank you. Argument can be made for Jacob getting some pretty good stuff too. But anyway, Joseph. Number three, God's instruction. There are times in our life that God makes changes to teach us something with no fault of ours or anybody else's. The book of Job is a story of a man who had massive changes in his life. Not because anybody was at fault, but because God wanted to instruct Job. And I've, I've wrestled with the book of Job many, many times. And I'm like, why did Job go through this? But in the very last chapter of Job, you see the reason Job went through this and what Job learned. But as you're reading the beginning, you're like, why did Job go through all this? Why did he lose his family, his house, his wealth, his reputation when he was a man without sin, a God-fearing man. It said twice in the first chapter, once from God's own mouth. But in Job chapter 42, <clears throat> verse 5, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Job had a fantastic, deeper revelation of who God is. That may be the only reason you go through something is so God can reveal himself to you greater than you even be, see him now. And you know what? If that's the reason I'm going through something, I can deal with that. To have a deeper revelation of God, I'm okay with that. <clears throat> Number four, God's timing. God makes changes in... The life of humans and our lives and in, in, in all of his creation simply to meet his timing. <clears throat> there are times that God has chosen to fulfill things for his own purposes. Abraham's location has changed, Genesis chapter 12. Moses' call was changed, Exodus chapter 3. The law was given, Exodus chapter 20. Matthew chapter 1, the birth of Jesus. Mark chapter 18, the death of Jesus on the cross. Each and every one of these things is, was instituted and ordained by God the Father. So he made all these changes. 
The best part is God doesn't make these changes without talking to his people first. Giving us a warning. He often tells us before and then he reminds us of those things after the changes happen. The, the prophets spoke of the, death, the, the life, death, and burial of Jesus and his resurrection for years, for centuries before it actually happened. But yet it wasn't until after it happened and Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus that two of his disciples finally got the revelation of what, what actually happened. It's easy to say, well, they had the prophecies. How come they didn't understand it? Until something happens, we may not fully understand what God's intention was. <clears throat> the next question, and it's the question we should always be asking, is now what? Now, I've added something here that uh, I, I question it. And the first now what is maybe we should try to figure out why this change is happening. And the reason I wrestle with that, because as much as I would like to know why this change is happening in my life, is because if it was my fault, I want to try to fix it, and I want to try to keep it from happening again. But if it wasn't something that I caused... Maybe I don't really need to know. Maybe God will never reveal to me why that change happened in my life. And I just have to roll with it. So the first now what is, see if you can find out what caused this change. Whatever this change is in your life. A job change, a loss of a family member, whatever it is. Good, bad, or indifferent. But if you can't find out why, don't dwell on it. Because understanding why it's happened is less important than then moving forward with that change. So that's why I kind of wrestled with that one just a little bit. <clears throat> so now I'm going to get back to my original number one. Now what? One, we make every effort to limit the changes required in our lives by our sin. Now that sounds simplistic. It sounds easy because, well, of course I'm going to try to limit my sin. But maybe sometimes we have to stop and think about these things. Am I actually going to make this action? Am I actually going to do this sin or am I going to stop and say, wait a minute, if I do this, what are the changes going to be in my life? And we need to stop and think, well, maybe I don't want to do that. So the first and easiest thing to do to limit the changes in our life and to move forward is to realize I don't want to be the cause of these changes in my life because I have sinned. <clears throat> first Corinthians chapter 9 verses 24 to 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things, knowing that they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an unperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I disciple my body, I discipline my body, excuse me, and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself have become disqualified. 
I discipline my body. I disciple myself. I change my life. I change my actions to become more like Christ so that my sin is less and less. And the changes in my life required to have to be done are not because of my mistakes. It's that discipleship process. And it's a lifelong process. You'll never get done being a disciple. Number two, show no fear. Have no fear. Fear is the exact opposite of what God calls us to have. Fear is the exact opposite of faith. By faith, we say these changes are coming, whether I like it or not, but I'm going to step into it. And I'm going to walk through it. And I'm going to believe in the God who's causing these changes that he's got my best interest at heart. Fear is going to keep me from stepping out into that faith. The change is going to come. You can either step into it in faith or you can try to hide from it in fear. Step into it in faith. 2 Timothy verses one, chapter 1, verse 7, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Fear will stop the rest of that from coming. So the, the second now what is have no fear. Because your God is bigger than your circumstances. Your God is bigger than the trouble you're going through. Your God is strong enough to break those chains in your life. Even if those chains are put there by your own choices, your God is still bigger than those chains. Number three, stay in constant communication. We keep the relationship with God that we need and that God covets. We need this relationship. God wants that relationship. We were created to have a relationship with God. So God wants to speak to you. He wants to reveal great and mighty things to you. He wants to show you what he has for you. How does he do this? Primarily by his word. God's word is the main way that he communicates to us. So I'm going to ask you to think about your past two weeks. How many times have you opened the Bible? Not at church. And even for those who are studying to to, uh, present a message of some sort or a teaching of some sort, not to include that, how many times have you opened God's word just to hear when he has to speak to you? You can go through life wondering what God's plans are for you. Or you can turn to his word and he can reveal it. John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So if you're thinking, I can't really talk to God through his word. Yes, you can because God is the word. Jesus is the word. 
And he is God. John tells us that to know the word better is to know Jesus better. And over time, we become more like Jesus. And he, his will will become our will. That's what we want, isn't it? If we're really disciples, to have our will become, or his will become our will. I don't want my will in charge because my will's messed up. At my best, my will is selfish. I want his will for my life. Second, and I'm not necessarily putting these in a hierarchy, it's just number two on the list, it's prayer. God speaks to us through his word. Our chance to speak back, to have real communication, is prayer. Now, it's amazing how our greatest weapon in this life is the one that Christians will set aside the most. How many times have you had a financial crisis or a health crisis and you've gone every avenue except to prayer and then you finally get down to prayer and you're like, well, I guess I need to pray. Versus the first thing out of your mouth saying, hey, why don't we pray about this and see where God reveals us to go next. Why don't we talk to God? Why don't I pull my brothers and sisters together to lay hands on me and to pray for me instead of going to see the doctor or going to see the financial counselor or going to see the, the, a mental counselor or Sister Jody because I'm having problems. Now, those things are all great. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying turn to prayer first. If you have a problem, if you have a need, go see the doctor. Go see the financial counselor if you have trouble controlling your finances. If you need to talk to someone, come see Sister Jody. She's got an ear and a heart that loves to hear you. But be willing to accept the advice that these people give you too. But turn to God first. Open your mouth in prayer. Open your heart to hear what God will respond back to you. And it's easy just to talk. But if you don't ever just zip your lip while you're talking to God to hear what he has coming back to you, you're still missing something. And it is so easy to do that. Because I want God to hear what I want. But you know what? God already knows what I want. But I need to hear what he wants. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And that the peace of God, which surpasses all... Wait a minute, women. That the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and... Minds. <laughs> Lovely. In Jesus Christ. Ah, uh, wow. <clears throat> Don't worry. Worry is about fear again. Don't fear. Don't worry. But take everything to God. 
God wants to hear so much from you that he will turn his ear to you and lean in when you begin to pray. Psalms chapter 116 verses 1 and 2, I love the Lord because he has heard my appeal for mercy. Because he has turned his ear to me and I will call out to him as long as I live. Prayer is, uh, is our choice, our chance to tell God what we need. Think, have done, good or bad. <clears throat> he wants to hear from you when you are joyful, when you are sorrowful, when you are mad, when all you can do is yell, scream, rant, and dare I say it, swear up into the heavens. God can take it. God can take it. He's not afraid of your wrath. In fact, I'd be willing to bet God would laugh every time you say, I'm so mad at you right now. He's like, just wait. Just wait. <clears throat> no prayers ever go unanswered. Sometimes we may have to be prepared for a no. Or an answer that's so far off field we don't perceive it. But your prayers don't go unanswered. <clears throat> and could I quote a phrase from our camp pastor a couple years ago, Pastor uh, Sam Bott. He looked out at the, the, the students and the leadership of the camp. And he said, no more sissy prayers. Let's get past the now I lay me down to sleeps. And the bless this food, Lord, to my body as I'm sitting in front of a massive cheeseburger and a large pizza that I plan on devouring by myself. Let's make our prayers more substantial. There's nothing wrong with simple prayers. But let's get past it. Let's get into the meat and potatoes. God, my heart is broken for this. God, my heart is joyful because of what you've done for me. Let's move past the simple things. <clears throat> Number four. Serve your church. Serve your church. Don't just attend. No matter the change that is happening in your life or the life of the church, it's easier when the people walk in unity, getting behind the vision given by God to the pastor and the leadership of the house, every transition is easier if we're all moving in one accord. And not just in word, but in deed. To say, I'm with you is one thing, but to lock arms and to move in that direction is completely different. Talk about an army rising up if the church would ever rise up and walk completely in unity, that's an army. That's an army that the enemy quivers even thinking about. Because that's an army that's empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Because we're walking in unity to fulfill his purpose. <clears throat> even in a relatively small church. And yes... 
I would include us in the relatively small churches because we've got a lot of bigger churches around us. It takes a lot of volunteers to keep things going. It takes a lot of volunteers. I did a quick count the other day, and I came up with at least 30 volunteers needed right now to improve the operation of this church. To make things work in a more fluid and exact way so that we're doing what God wants us to do. And we're a small church. Not sure if you want to do something for long term, fine. Talk to the leadership. Say, hey, you know what? I want to volunteer for three months. See if it works out for you. Go from there. You're afraid to get locked down for something long term? Cool. We can work with that. Three months, six months, you want to go a year? Cool. As both youth pastor and uh, a member of the sound team, I can tell you both ministries need volunteers. Both ministries need people. I can tell you the van ministry needs people. They need people to be consistent. If you volunteer to do something, show up. If you say you're going to be there, be there. If you've got an idea for something that's not being done in this church and it involves another ministry, go to that ministry leader and say, look, I would like to do such and such. One of two things will probably happen. One, that leader will say, you know what, now is not the right time, but I love the idea. Let's see if we can't plan it out, develop it, and then it's ready when God says, do it. Or two, they may fall to their knees in tears saying, I wish I could do that right now. I would love to have you do that. One of those two things will happen, more than likely. If you do volunteer, and this goes to the leadership who are running a uh, ministry too, don't don't back talk. Don't, uh, Don't gossip. Don't question things to someone else. There's ways to deal with conflict in the church, and they don't involve gossip and and, uh, backbiting. The only reason I mention it is because we've seen it. We're human, so part of that is to be expected. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, verses 27 and 28, For whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Volunteering in the church is like stepping up like Christ did. He came to serve. Number five, show up to church. Show up to church. Let's say you just can't do, number four, you can't serve in any way other than prayer. You can always pray. Then at least be here. Show up to church. The early church met almost on a daily basis. A daily basis. Our three to four hours a week seem minuscule in comparison to that. We got two hours on Sunday, 10 to noon. Actually, usually pastor gets us out of here about 11.45. Wednesdays, we start at 6.45. And we usually leave right around 8 o'clock. Well, you're dismissed at 8. People like to talk, which I love. So we're here till 8.30. But show up to church. 
You're missing out. We're missing out if you're not here. Now, if you have a job or you just simply can't be here because of something really, really important, I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to those people because you've got something you have to do. I'm talking to those who just choose not to come to church. And you have to decide if your reason for not coming to church is important because I can't tell you that. So look in your own hearts. Okay? I'll leave that one alone. I know that one's kind of painful. Number six. And I'm just about done here, by the way. I know. Most pastors and preachers close two or three times. Number six. Find a mentor. Find a mentor. Someone who is further along the path of faith than you are. Give them the opportunity to pour into you and to disciple you. Give them the option to say, look, brother, sister, this part of your life is not good. You need to fix it. Give them the opportunity, give them the authority to correct you and to congratulate you. It's easy to have someone tear you down. But I think it's harder to have someone that you're willing to listen to and to build you up. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 2. And the things that have, you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The discipleship process. Those who have gone before, who have worked some of this stuff out, grab a hold of the younger and teach them. And then that generation, who may just be a little bit ahead of this generation, grabs a hold of them and they start teaching. You don't have to be... Perfect. You don't have to have all the answers to teach. You can just grab someone who's a little behind you and who is willing to accept your instruction. And you don't have to look for someone who knows everything. Just find someone who's a little further ahead of you. Grab a hold of them and say, look, I need your instruction. I need your knowledge. And then be willing to listen to them. Changes... And life can be scary. Sometimes you may be able to see the road. And others you may not. The key is to keep a hold of the hand of Christ. And the body of Christ. If you try to go it alone. You're going to find yourself broken. And your resistance gone. I'm a Trekkie. I love Star Trek. And the Borg if you know Star Trek, their key phrase is resistance is futile. If you try to go it alone, it's like coming against the Borg and it's resistance is futile because the enemy is going to wear you down. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand.